today, more of our talent attraction process and the way in which we source candidates looks like mark should look more like marketing. You know, when you think of generating a sales funnel and you think of generating leads for your business or customers for your business, it's all about optimizing the conversion rate of how many people and how many conversations we can get, how many humans we can get, you know, uh, connected with. And now we're seeing more employers embrace this idea of, I need to get more people in the funnel. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. No one who recruits, hires, or manages people will be surprised to hear that the talent management landscape has changed. A lot of attention has been paid to accommodating the expectations of degreed professional staff, especially those in technical positions, but many employers are having even greater struggles recruiting and retaining frontline workers. From healthcare to restaurants to logistics, companies are struggling to hire those workers who are essential to keeping the lights on and delivering service to customers. Joining me today to discuss these challenges and ways employers can meet them is Thad Price. That is CEO at Austin-based technology company, Talru, a data-driven job and hiring event advertising platform that helps businesses reach the candidates they need to build their essential workforce. With more than 17 years of experience in online recruitment and the job search ecosystem, Thad is recognized as a thought leader in the HR and talent acquisition realms. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Thad. Mike, great to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. So... When the COVID shutdown first happened, we heard all about essential workers because that's the only people who could go to work. And I remember that first day they said, okay, you can, essential people can go back to the office. And sitting at the first stoplight I hit that day, because, you know, we're a private security firm. So, you know, so, you know we fall under that, that essential thing. And sitting at the stoplight and looking at the people next to me on each side and thinking, they don't look essential. So, you know, I was essential, but I'm not sure everybody else was. But... When you're talking about essential workers from a recruiting and retention point of view with the kind of struggles employers are having today, who are we talking about? I like to think of it as the folks that keep the economy moving in whatever direction, whether it's providing the, the services and providing the, um, the products necessary to keep us in, uh, in a good state. Um, they truly are essential for our economy and essential for our well-being. And so early on, when you think about the idea of an essential workforce, it was really healthcare related, warehouse, logistics, um, trucking, of course, being a, a large component of that. And even the frontline workers, of course, in many of the uh, grocery stores. So that, you know, of course, during the pandemic, we were able to, you know, feed our families and deliver what was necessary so that we could create value for um, the economy during that time period. So, but as we think about the essential workforce, it's kind of moved into more of this idea of this frontline um, focus that becomes so important of, again, who really drives a lot of the value in the economy for all of the consumers. And so I think you've seen less talk as of late about essential workers and more about frontline workers and their importance in the American economy. So yeah, I have friends who own restaurants and are really struggling just to keep their front of house open. 
Uh, I one of my favorite restaurants here in Fort Worth closed their front end. They're only doing catering and carry out basically and deliveries um, because they could not get people to show up to wait tables. And this was, wasn't a cheap restaurant. This, you know, they were making money. You know, it's not like the staff weren't making money there. But I'm hearing it from friends and clients in all kinds of industries, positions where they would post and get, you know, 100 applica- applications in the first couple of days. Now they're just getting a few. And those few aren't people who actually show up for interviews or, or, or you know, call back for phone interviews or anything. So where did those really good essential workers go? And why is it so hard to recruit recruit them right now? So there are a lot of things that are happening in the labor market, so to speak. So the first thing is, is we've just had massive job creation, you know, over the last few years coming out of the pandemic, already had some headwinds in the, uh, in the economy as well, especially in the labor market. One big change that's happened in probably the last six or seven years, when you think about central workforce and frontline workers is this idea of gig employment that really, if you think about contractors and you think about consultants, had been really been around in the knowledge worker um, area for years. But the idea of frontline workers, essential workers could turn on an app and drive when they want to drive and have the flexibility they want um, and cash out and get paid, you know, when, whenever they like, <laughs> was very different um, compared to, you know, compared to the options uh, that were there, you know, five or six years ago. Then you Think about the acceleration that happened during the pandemic when people were having a lot of their food and uh, groceries delivered. There was even more interest and more demand in those marketplaces to fulfill for customers. So I think a couple of things are happening, right? You've got this one, you've got massive job creation over the last few years, you know, coming out of the pandemic and even during the pandemic when many, many people were, um, many people were at, at home. And they were looking for services and products to be delivered to, the, to their home. Then you've got this idea of this large amount of demand that's, um, you know, that's been created over the last five or six years of, get, of again, this idea of um, gigs where, you know, if you want something delivered to your house, you want food, you, you uh, open the DoorDash app, you order what you want, it's delivered to your home. Same thing goes with Instacart, groceries, anything like this. And so someone's got to deliver all of those. All of, someone's going to handle those deliveries in those services. And so that's a large swath of, you know, uh, of uh, employees, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Not really employees, but a large swath of war- workers that have now optionality that they didn't have before. And that is this idea of work when I want to work and log into an app and turn on and off and cash out. That never really happened with frontline workers um, in the past. And that flexibility is what, you know, certainly my clients are hearing all the time is that all their, all their employees want flexibility. And it used to be, yeah, your, your top tier players, your high country, you know, your hard to fill positions, yeah, we we realize we got to give them some flexibility in order to retain them. But now it's, you know, everybody from the receptionist and, you know, and housekeeping staff to, you know, all the way up uh the the management chain. So that flexibility is is seems to be a a big driver for a, a lot of folks. Uh and uh, and Uber 
just last month announced it made a profit for the first time after all these years. And so, you know, maybe they've, because of that, they give that flexibility, they've hit critical mass and they can serve just enough customers to, uh, you know, to turn a profit. I think you're right. I think flexibility, when we, we have access to millions of job seekers and, you know, we, a number of years ago, we surveyed them when a lot of this change started happening in the, uh, in the ecosystem, in the talent marketplace. And, and what we found is flexibility was almost as important as pay. And it's almost as important with pay when you think about frontline workers, because there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of difference in pay. Right. But the amount of value that, you know, workers uh, put into the idea of having a flexible environment where you can, you know, you can actually have the weekends off or you can have the evenings off is so much higher than the additional couple bucks you may make, you know, per hour um, and sacrifice, you know, and people are willing to make, to make that, um, make that sacrifice and think about that change. And I think, we can't forget that, you know, during the pandemic, um, that was a substantial change for a lot of families. And it really put a lot of things in perspective. And that's work-life balance. And I think flexibility coming out of the pandemic was even more important to families than entering. And I keep hearing, you know, especially my entrepreneur friends grumbling that nobody wants to work anymore. And I think, and, and what I usually end up saying gently, um, is, unless we've been had, had a few beers and then maybe more directly, what they really don't want, it's hard to find people who want to work the way you want them to work, the way you've asked them to work in the past. They, you know, they're looking for whatever it is, whether it's flexibility or the ability to work from home or just work different schedules so they can be there to pick up kids from school or whatever. And certainly we've had to make accommodations in, in my company. It's, uh, you know, we've always been real flexible, so it was easy. And then when we went fully remote, if I had tried to pull everybody back post-pandemic to a physical office, it wouldn't have worked. I would have had a revolt on my hands. And, uh, and so I think, you know, it's just that expectation. It's not that people don't want to work. It's just that they want to work. They want to have more say in, in the terms of how they work. I think you're bringing up a great point. You know, when we have conversations with our customers, the first thing that we do is is think about who their competitors are, right? And the reason why we the reason why we think about this is because typically a company that's recruiting for frontline workers, they don't really think about Uber or Lyft or DoorDash or Amazon as competitors, but they are, and that's why we that's why we think about this exercise. So we say, you know, if we in in product development and in sales, um, they're battle cards. Right. And so typically what you do, if you've got some competitors, you know, that you're selling against, you know, over time, your marketing team works with your sales team and you're like, all right, let's build a battle card. Let's figure out who we're, who we're going to win against and why would someone want to work with us compared to our competitor? Right. And you create this battle card. And I think that can, that can be applied to recruiting as well. When you think about a battle card, right. Who are you competing against? And so when you do that and you think about, and this is again, you don't rest and say, hey, people just don't want to work. You actually like, do the work to figure out who you're competing with for talent. When you dig into that and you think about that, one of the big things is, again, these the marketplaces, the gig marketplaces, right, as, as a competitor. But what you find is something very interesting is that in these marketplaces, it's a transactional relationship. You turn on the app, you get make some money. You turn off the app, you don't make money. 
But where can you go and where can you grow with a company? And that's what a lot of these marketplaces, you know, you know, can offer. Mm -hmm. And so when you have that conversation with, you know, friends that are having problems finding uh, teammates and frontline workers, the next conversation should be ours. What does your plan look like? Where can someone, if you think about this idea of, hey, you're, you're not being able to provide the, the flexibility that potentially some of these other marketplaces can buy, what can you provide? And that's a relationship-driven experience that's not so much transactional, but about where you can grow with a company and where you can learn and what's, what does the next two or three years look like? And that's why career pathing and everything, everything else that we've, you know, you know, uh, we've talked about in HR forever. <laughs> it's so important now more than ever because you really have to double down on what what gets people to lean in, and that is this idea of you can grow, and it's more than this transactional experience. Where you celebrate your managers, celebrate the testimonials within your company, create great experiences out of that. It's not just about this one job. It's a, it's about where your career can grow with a company. And if you're not telling that story, then you're not going to have success in recruiting frontline workers to, you know, to, uh, to fill your store or, or your business in general or your restaurant. And you're talking about building your battle cards out to, you know, who are we, who, who are we competing against? And in employee with employees with more developed uh, skills, more experience, uh, it's easier to pick that. I mean, if I'm a hospital, if I'm a local hospital, I know who my three or four big competitors are uh, locally, right. but with these uh, less experienced and, and really lower skill, uh, lower specialized skill, you know, if you're specialized skill employees that your battle card is everybody. It's not just the restaurant down the street. Right. It could be the logistics firm uh, that's doing, putting in a warehouse, you know, in this side of town, or it could be, just anybody, you know, not and Uber and all, you know, all the gig services and TaskRabbit or whatever else. So figuring out, you know, it it's not, you know, this is a great place where you can come, you know, be a nurse because, and this is, you know, you, you know, it, it's this is a great place to, you know, what is that? What's that sales pitch sound like? Uh, especially if it's okay. You know, I'm a I'm a small employer. I'm a restaurant, or I'm a small employer with 15 employees, and the job's pretty much what the job is. You know, we can give you some culture and stuff, but there's not a place, a lot of place to grow. Uh, you know, uh, in 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 a lot of those smaller organizations that are really struggling. Um, what's the story? What's what's their sales pitch to uh, to that that audience? Well, I think the first thing is is a lot of times get inspiration from your customers. What I found over the years is people want to work for brands that actually drive emotion for them. So one of the one of the secret weapons when you're recruiting is your customer list. Believe it or not, you know when you think about your customer list and you figure out where you shop and who actually is your customer, there's a lot of great data there that you can then find on how to re from referrals, from a hiring event, from open house. So I think the big thing is trying to find people that may interact with your brand. Right, since it is hard because they like it, they like your food, right, or or they like the experience, and that's the first step. Because it's hard when you're trying to recruit, and you're right, you're not as competitive. You can't be as competitive. It's a small business, but you know, a lot of people are driven by a brand and by emotion, and so if you can actually connect to that through your customer list, then that becomes really interesting. 
The second thing is, is one of the things that uh, we've seen more of over the last few years is open house hiring events. And open house hiring events gives you a sense of the personalities behind uh, the team you'll be working with. And a lot of people like that. And a lot of business owners like it because it's the first step if you'll show up. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, I'm having a hiring event at this time. One of the number one things is I just want people to show up. We hear from, we hear from customers. So if you're, if you're having a hiring event and you know, you're inviting people and you can use your customer list to announce the hiring event, you're inviting people and saying, Hey, on August 16th, we're having a hiring event at 3 PM. Come join us. You know, we'll have some, um, we'll have some appetizers for a restaurant and uh, meet the team. Right. What a great experience. Invite your customer list. Maybe it'll, maybe you'll forward it to, um, to other friends you may know. Um, and then if they show up and they interact with you, oh, that's half the battle, at, you know, in this point. So I would say try to find ways to bridge your personality with candidates, right? Your, your corporate personality, right? Culture is, of course, always very important. But, but everybody the says they have an amazing culture. Everybody says our culture is the best. And and I think candidates yes. are, have kind of caught on to the fact that a lot of employers are just, you know, blowing smoke up their ass about what, what it really, what, you know, their culture really is. It's very different though, when you're inviting, right. you know, th- take a restaurant, for example, when you're inviting and you have a hiring event, you've got a couple servers there that work for uh, the business and you're able to there to ask pointed questions. Hey, what's this like? Or is, is there flexibility? Or is this, you know, you know, it's a little different, right? Cause when you're talking about job advertising, when you think about recruitment marketing, it's marketing, which can be very different in some cases than, you know, a real life experience. Um, and on the flip side with reviews and everything else that you read, well, we all know about that, right? That's, that can be a little, uh, a little biased, just a tad in, in many cases. But if you're in a situation where people are coming to your location, having a conversation with your team members, seeing if there could be a fit, maybe has had some positive experience at your at your location or business, then that's that's what it takes to really ensure that you're you're able to recruit and hire the right people to grow your business. You know, that's it was interesting you're talking about customers who love your brand. There's a a place I'm just gonna give them a shout out. Mama Gina's uh, comfort food uh, here in Fort Worth on on the east side. My favorite restaurant. Every Saturday morning, uh, I eat there because it's Saturdays is when she has sweet potato pancakes, and they are to die for. Oh my gosh! And they're yeah, it's they're amazing. amazing. Um, but she struggles. She's really struggled keeping staff, uh, and it's a really small restaurant. But you're talking about customers being your advocates, and I turned into a recruiter for her because. You know, I one Saturday a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was in there with my two adult sons, and they were. She was had a full restaurant, and it was her and one other person in the kitchen. I mean, there's no front of house at, at all, and they were trying to do both. And I heard them say, and I eat there a lot, so I heard them say in the kitchen, "Oh, I, I got to wash some plates. We're out of we're out of plates or something." And I just I went up and I went and washed dishes for her for about half an hour so she could get some people stuff out. So I, that's an advocate for our client. But then I, I became, I got tuned in that she needs to hire somebody and she needs to find somebody. And just in my network, I had a conversation with somebody. I said, you know what? You know, you were a cook in the Navy and, and you're looking for your next thing that you want to do that's meaningful. And I connected the two of them and, 
and so far it's worked out amazing. Now I'm afraid if it doesn't work out, I'm going to, I'm going to lose my favorite restaurant in the divorce, but the, I'm hoping, you know, that this works out, but that's, that's an example of a customer clued into the problem and advocating to help, you know, find, you know, find help. So, uh, you didn't really directly say that, but I mean, I guess, you know, tapping into the customer's networks and letting them be recruiters for you is, a is another way to, to get some interest because, you know, people, it's like, you know, people buy from people they trust and, uh, and, and, and I'm sure the referral from a, uh, to an employer from somebody you trust means a lot too. Definitely. Definitely. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. Depending on the workplace, role and responsibilities, and the company's internal controls, employers may have legitimate concerns about candidates' social media posts reflecting advocacy for violence, drugs, illegal activity, or threatening or coercive behavior. They may also be interested in positive posts that reflect the candidate's support of their community or professional associations. And beyond those concerns, employers may have specific concerns based on their industry or the risks associated with a specific position. Likewise, receiving information suggesting that an applicant is a member of a protected class, has union affiliations, or has a disability could call into question the real reasons an employer made a decision not to proceed with the candidate. And that's why Imperative offers curated social media searches. Rather than deliver our clients automated searches for keywords that may or may not be relevant to the employer's stated concerns, our team of trained analysts review the context and intent of each and every result returned by our search algorithm. And then we deliver only the information that is relevant to our clients' stated concerns, omitting information that may get them in hot water. If you'd like to discuss our approach to social media or any other aspect of your background screening process, reach out to us at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 108 and enter the keyword talent. That's T-A-L-E-N-T. And now back to my conversation with Thad Price. So we can't just do it with money. I mean, we've had crazy inflation for the last couple of years and wage inflation is, has been really high. And and now it's dropped down. You know, our general inflation rate's down about 3%, but that's 3% on top of last year's 9%. So it's still crazy high. And a lot of employers just haven't been able to raise prices enough to, to cover all of that. So we want to get people, you know, to fill our culture and get candidates in the door and kind of get to know who we are and know that we're even hiring. But if we can't do the money and, and you know, if flexibility is challenging because we were a nine to five operation and, you know, we've got to serve customers in person at these times, what are some other things employees can, or employers and companies can do to recruit those employees uh, that they need without breaking the bank financially, just to, you know, kind of pay more than market for, for those roles. Yeah. So I think that the one thing to do is to be transparent in the process, right. And what it means to recruit and the all powerful job at job at, um, you know, we see so many companies, you know, it's been, been a lot of, uh, especially with some of the recent legislation, there's been a lot of talk about pay transparency, 
and how important that is for for job seekers in general. And I, you know, we like to think that transparency is is an amazing is an amazing catalyst for more activity with employers and with job seekers. So the first is, you know, use the job description, use the job ad as your tool. Be transparent. Say exactly what you know what it's like on the job. So that you're in, so that you ensure that people that actually apply for the job are great candidates and are qualified, right? Because a lot of that qualification process happens at time of apply, reading the job description, that person selecting that this is an opportunity they they want to pursue. Um, but you're right; it's a challenge right now because there's so many. When we think of um, the market, we think of hiring, when we think of just inflation in general. It's challenging. And, you know, I would say that one of the biggest tools that a lot of companies probably don't think about is, you know, so in, in, in business, um, in personal life, it solves all problems and that is communication. And I think that businesses should have more stay interviews than they've ever had in the past, right? Have more conversations about what's happening. How can we be more effective? Are you getting what you need from us? What are you, how are you feeling? I think we, as a, as a society, we overlook the power of communicating. Um, and it's mostly, traditionally, it's been reactive and not proactive. But I think having more conversation with your team, bringing them in, walking them through the decision-making process is really what separates a company that's probably having a lot of success recruiting and a company that's probably failing to recruit because it's it really is all about communicating. Yeah, and I, I definitely see an employer clients I've worked with over the years, something goes wrong. You know, they get a, you know, suddenly they, their turnover rate goes up or they start losing some key people. And all of a sudden, now we want to go have employee conversations. Okay, let's have a town hall. Let's do this. Let's do that. And when it's reactive, employees recognize it for what it is. And it looks like it's fake interest uh i think you know and uh and and i have always said you get better information asking an employee why do you get up and come to work every day uh and what would stop you from doing that than asking you know exit interview questions i think there's value to exit Mm -hmm. interview questions but those people have already disengaged they've already moved on mentally they've they you know and uh and they don't want to burn bridges and so you know, often, and so the, you know, asking, doing the stay interviews and just having those frontline supervisors who know how to connect and, and have conversations with their, their folks, uh, and understand, and can recognize when, Hey, something, you know, something's brewing here, you know, we need to talk to HR or senior management, get some, you know, you know, feed, give this feedback further up the, up the chain. I think that there's a lot of ways to, um, I think where a lot of managers and especially supervisors probably get caught up is, yes, you need to be caring and you need to be considerate, but it's hard to separate. All right. How can we be caring and considerate to, I also need to get the job done. Right. Right. And the best managers and supervisors know how to bridge that. And I was with a business uh, group uh, a number of years, a few years ago, it was, it was, uh, it was, I had a great time and met a lot of great leaders and maybe you've, maybe you've um, engaged with a group in, in the past like this, but it was Vistage. Oh, yeah. So Vistage. I was a Vistage member like for years. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. And I was as well. And I remember there was a term they use and I've, I've used that to our, you know, with our team, especially new managers. Um, but it's a great way to sum up how to think about the relationship between, you know, a team member and a manager or supervisor. And that's this idea of you have to be confrontational. Remember that? Mm-hmm. What a great word, right? To be caring, but also confront a problem and also know that it matters and it's important for them. So, you know, it's uh, definitely an interesting word, but I love it because it has uh, great meaning across organizations. It goes back to that kind of that manager who sees an employee in the hall and says, hey, how's it going? And they do not want that employee to stop and tell them how it's going. You know, that's not what, you know, that's a, I'm a social courtesy. I'm saying hi, you're saying hi, and we're walking on. Uh, but then you get the other manager who sees, you know, feels like they need to do it. And so, no, really, how's it going? And they, you know, they, they <laughs> corner this poor employee in the hall or, you know, and just overly emote on them. And I've seen both of those. Uh, and I think the, you know, that idea that if you really want to connect, and especially if you've got somebody who is a, a, has been a great performer and they're struggling uh, or, you know, who are really working at trying to succeed and they're not, and they're struggling, then maybe you do need to ask how that's going, but you need to set, you know, it's, it's, you need to have the right set and setting, right? Let's settle, you know, let's go to a private space and let's have a conversation. You've really done a great job. You've been working really hard. You've done a lot of overtime. I see that you canceled that PTO that you had scheduled for next week. Before you do that, you've been doing all this extra. Are you sure that that's, you know, are you okay? Is Are you sure that's really the best thing for you? You know, that's why we have PTO. And, you know, that's a conversation most employees don't ever hear, right? And that shows you this manager cares. And they're going to hold me accountable even on decisions where I'm not taking care of myself, maybe. You know, and, you know, we want you to do the job, but we want you to be here doing the job consistently for a long period of time. And then, of course, on the flip side, if somebody's just not doing it, hey, we, you know, my job as your leader is to help you be successful. You've got to make that, you've got to put the effort in, but there are things we can do to help you be successful. Let's talk about what those look like and how can, what do you need, you know, what do you need to be more successful uh, at this stage of your life or whatever's going on and having, and being open to, to, you know, really considering what they say rather than, well, we've only got these three options because that's what the policy says. And I think having those intentional conversations are more important now because so much of what we do is in a remote environment than before. You know, if you think about, you know, when you think of, you know, outside of frontline where, you know, in many cases they don't have the luxury of, of, of remote in many cases and essential workers. But, you know, if we think of other industries and we think of that, it is easier to disconnect with a company and a manager in a remote environment. Than it is being to you know being connected um, in an office, and so I think we I think just in general we have to be uh, we have there has to be more intention across all types of uh, opportunities and workers in the labor market more now than ever. And so, if we can, you like you know like you know recap cover make sure we are utilizing. Uh, our customers uh, in our talent attraction, but also looking for ways to hold event, you know, invite people into our space to, to experience what we do. Uh, and then once, once we get them in, you know, being 
honest and open about our in our communications and and trying to understand what it need what they need to be successful in this environment. But that takes me back to the other thing that we're in the communication on the front end. When you're talking about the job posting, and you said you know you're talking about uh, being open and honest about the environment. Uh, so does that mean like this is a warehouse with scant uh, air conditioning? And uh, it's Texas, and it's 150 degrees by 9 a.m. Are you saying, tell those people, hey, this is going to be a really challenging work environment? I am. I'm saying this isn't for everyone. This is a very challenging work environment. And um, and the reason why that's so important is the cost of hiring a new team member, training them, and then only have them leave, thinking that this isn't something – they thought it was is probably more costly than, you know, (laughs) than just waiting to find someone that's qualified and knows exactly what they're getting into. So, you know, I think the idea of, of transparency in roles are very important. Um, so people know what they're, they're signing up for. Um, you know, what's the worst, you know, is imagine, right. Aligning all of your team, trying to find a couple of new team members going through this entire process and, entire hiring process, recruiting process, only to find that, you know, within two or three weeks or a month, they leave because, you know, it's not what they, it's not what they signed up for. So I like to think of it as if we can remove the, it's not what I signed up for. That just means I may have to wait a little bit longer for the right candidate. But when I hire the right candidate and I find the right candidate, then I'm going to, that's truly a successful hire. When you're working with Talbru's clients, um, how how often do you still see employers with either unreasonable expectations about qualifications and experience or just not even un- necessarily not unreasonable just but just dumb unrelated to the job i still see a lot of job postings where i see what the job is and i see what they're requiring and you know okay and let's say it's a logistics thing where somebody's got to work in a warehouse and uh, you know, move stuff around and do, you know, do real, you know, physical labor, but show up every day and have a good attitude and all of that. And you see a high school diploma requirement. Even that, I question, okay, if this person's 40 years old, why do I care if they have a high school diploma? Are you seeing much of that? Or is that, are employers finally wising up to, let's just make sure they've got the competencies to really do the job? Definitely seeing more of the skills, hiring, move. Uh, more than ever. And I think because of the increase and the tightness of the labor market, it's created a great opening uh, for for the focus on skills. So we are seeing more of that. We, we still see a lot of the uh, requirements that are probably not really requirements, but I think the big thing that we have to, big thing we have to focus on is probably a lot of this is compliance oriented. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And when we think of job advertising and we think of marketing, you know, job advertising is a form of marketing. It's marketing for people to join your company, not, you know, buyers to buy your product. And so the, the difference is that there's that there's a compliance component of this as well. But I think you're right. I think we're seeing more people um, being um, more people being having a little more, more flexibility in what the requirements are focusing on skills. 
Um, the other thing that I think that we've seen, which has been interesting um, outside of requirements and skills is, you know, many employers, I would say probably four or five years ago, everyone was requiring a resume yeah. to apply for a job, right? The all powerful resume, like even for physicians that you probably didn't need a resume for. And that's changed. And we're all excited in the industry that that has changed. Uh, because what is a resume? You know, it's outdated. It's a polite lie. That's you know, what a resume, I always say a resume <laughs> is a polite lie and we accept it. We know it's a social grace, but this person is doing nothing but putting their best foot forward and they're not telling you anything that may dissuade you. That's why there's a whole cottage industry of resume. Right? I mean, don't get me started on my whole resume thing because I've got, I, I, you know, I've got a whole thing I tell clients. I they introduce bias. There's a whole bunch of issues with that. So, but you're right. Yeah, and yeah. and so you're seeing employers move away from that. Then seeing good seeing employers move away from resumes um, at a higher percentage that I've seen ever. What they want is they want to talk to someone. They mm-hmm. want someone to show up. They want to have a conversation. That's that's what it's all about. This amazing human connection that is so important in human resources. That's what they want. And so many, in many cases, you know, what we've seen over the years is, especially even though we're still talking about this, I guess, I don't know, 10 years later, you know, a mobile device, people don't want to upload a resume from their mobile device. They don't have it on their mobile device, right? And most people are browsing and searching and applying for jobs on a mobile device. So now they want just a little bit of information. Give me, share a little bit of information about you. Right. And if you share a little bit of information about you and you like the job and we can have a conversation and if we think you could be a fit and maybe there's some assessment uh, that happens in that process, you know, we've now increased our candidate pipeline substantially because we're not requiring a resume and we're getting access to humans and creating this magical experience called communication. And then through that, you know, we find a hire. And I think that people are thinking more of that process as more. And this, this is a whole nother conversation that we'd be happy to have with you one day. But today, more of our talent attraction process and the way in which we source candidates looks like marketing, should look more like marketing. You know, when you think of generating a sales funnel and you think of generating leads for your business or customers for your business, it's all about optimizing the conversion rate of how many people and how many conversations we can get, how many humans we can get, you know, uh, connected with. And now we're seeing more employers embrace this idea of, I need to get more people in the funnel because if I can get more people in the funnel, I can get more people connected. Then I have a higher chance of finding the right hiring. And by the way, if I have a terrible experience and my funnel isn't that great, then I may not actually find that great candidate out there that is going to jump through the hoops that, you know, said employer wants me to jump through. So um, I think it's an exciting time in the industry. Um, and in many ways, uh, AI is going to change the game. You know, we've seen automation over the last three or four years. Um, these are very different, but, you know, there are a lot of things that are going to change the game for our industry. And I remain excited about, you know, where, where we can take human resources and really drive a lot of success over the next few years. And when you're talking about your 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 pipeline, I think you're you hit the nail on the head. And I think the other part of that is you don't want just warm bodies. You, I mean, I don't want bad. You know, for my company, I don't want 
people who aren't ideal clients coming into my pipeline. They're going to waste my time and I'm going to waste theirs. I mean, and so making sure that when a client hits our website, they know premium background checks with fast and friendly service. It's going to, you know, we tell them this is a lot more thorough and we tell them right up front, this is more expensive than a $30 background check over the internet. And so if somebody is looking to save money on their background checks, we're usually not the right company. And so they know, and they don't enter, you know, maybe they'll get some of our information, but then I'm going to enter into our, our sales process because we've told them right up front that we're not. And I think a lot of employers, well, even when we're hiring for our analyst positions, one of the questions, and, and we keep it pretty short and sweet because we want people to, to, you know, express interest before, you know, at, you know, quickly enough, but, this is a and we tell them this is a position where you're sitting in front of two or three computer monitors all day long. There's very little social interaction with other people. Um, you know, this is who we're hiring. This is it's a, it sounds awful to me. I would never apply for that job, right? And but the people who who do apply for it, it's the job for them. And then we ask them, so what in your experience suggests this would be a really good fit for you? And part I, I get two things out of that. I get some in, input into what you know, some feedback about their experience and what they look, you know, what they've enjoyed doing in the past things like that. But I also get to see if they can put a subject and a verb together uh, in a sentence with appropriate punctuation and spelling, which is a critical characteristic if you're writing background check reports all day long, right? And so I get a lot out of just that one little question. And I think a lot of applicants self-select out of the pro. I know they do because we flow it on our website, and I can see where people are dropping out, and it's perfect. And that's what I want. And so I think if employers think more about, let's think about our applicants, just like we do customers and how do we manage our prospect flow to get the ideal customers in? How do we manage our applicant flow to get our ideal applicants and help other people not waste their time, help them go find uh, the job that's a good fit for them? How does Talru help employers? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this, this, the, the, the big picture stuff, but how do y'all specifically help employers? Yeah, great. So when we work with an when we work with an enterprise employer or a you know, mid market employer, um, an employer usually has their job listings living uh, in their applicant tracking system, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's their source of truth. They're posting jobs directly in their a- opening recs in their applicant tracking system. What our technology will do is we'll go to the applicant tracking system. We'll source those, uh, sync those jobs directly from the applicant tracking system. We'll load them in what's called the Tauru ad platform. And then companies can create campaigns based on recs that they're looking to advertise uh, on themes. And so they'll then advertise, uh, they'll then advertise uh, jobs specifically. And we're integrated with applicant tracking systems. So that way, when an applicant's uh, information is submitted, we'll get a signal. And when we get that signal, we'll use that process to optimize the company's campaign in the Tower ad platform. So if you think about the idea of posting jobs today, you know, companies still go, they post a job. You know, they post and pray, they spend right. 400 bucks and they get some applicants and some of them are qualified and a lot of them aren't. And then they just go through their process. And so our thought process is, is we can bring a marketing approach to job advertising, which is more about signals and more about data, more about reaching the right candidates, reaching the right audiences and using you know machine learning to be more effective at re- re- uh, reaching the right audiences. We've got some really cool stuff in... Um, uh, in our in our R and D right now, that is very exciting, and that will that will change the game a little more in how we think about automation and how we think about what's important. Leveraging all of that data, we process about 
We process about 200 million jobs a day, 220 million jobs a day across job boards we work with, staffing firms we work with, and um, direct employers that we work with. And we have to dedupe those jobs. So right. like we bring them in the system, we dedupe them, and we get, we get but that's a lot of data there. And so your, your statement about requirements and pay and all of that, let's just say there's a lot of things we can do when we have 220, 230 million jobs coming through our system a day. We're deduping it. And if we can study and understand each of those recs, there's a huge opportunity to understand what the market looks like across industries, across locations, what pay looks like, what requirements look like. And so um, our goal over time is to surface that information to employers and uh, arm them with the transparency needed to be more successful at hiring. And that's where we're seeing a lot of our investment today in some of our new products. But um, that, that's how our product works. And, you know, we're a sourcing platform. So we'll, we'll drive you candidates, we'll drive you qualified candidates, and you hire. Oh, all of that too. Okay. So, so it's not just, you're not just the pass through, you're not cleaning up, just cleaning up wrecks and passing through to Indeed or something. You're, you're actually, you're, you're a sourcing platform. You've got a, you've got a, right. a way to collect applicants and feed them to the right client, to the right employer. That's right. That's right. Our search and match. We're a talent market, uh, talent matching platform with our marketplace. And so where we see a lot of, um, where we see a lot of opportunity in the future is then using all of that data to then you know, provide more effective advice, um, product driven advice to, uh, to employers. Perfect. Well, that's all the time we have today. Thanks for joining me today, Thad. It was terrific to be here. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciated the great conversation. I hope you all have a fantastic day. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperative's marketing coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.